You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Amen, church. Let's take our seats together. Molly, Danny, Nick, band, thank you so much. Wow, what, what a great, yeah, what a great sense of the presence of God here today. And it's my privilege to extend my welcome to you. Uh, if you're new, my name's Martin, along with Esther, who's been leading the meeting. We're, we're married, and uh, we have the privilege of being the pastors here. If you're joining us online, uh, a great welcome to you as well. We live stream this first service and then the second service. Uh, we don't stream that. But if you're joining us either right now or on Catch Up, welcome to you where you are. If you are brand new among us, uh, just we're thrilled to have you here. And uh, we hope and pray that you're able to feel at home among us and uh, sense something of the goodness and the presence of God. And as you heard earlier, if you're a student and arriving either back into Coventry or if you are, uh, you're new here, you're looking for a church to settle in, well, uh, if you feel a sense of being at home here, we'd just be thrilled to uh, be a place where you can call home during your time at university. And if that's relevant for you, welcome. And do get plugged in on Tuesday to Student Connect. Also, just before I dive into the message, I want to give a huge shout out to one of our partner projects, Guardian Ballers. Um, which many of you will have heard of. It's a, a project that Kieran Joseph, who's part of our congregation, has pioneered really over the last year. And uh, because of different lockdowns, went into schools for the first time around Easter and really bringing a message of hope, practically around mental health through the medium of basketball. But on Thursday night just gone, there was a, a, a film premiere uh, of The Guardian Board as well, a documentary that Ryan Orms, who's one of CLM's elders, he's a filmmaker as well, has put together. It's absolutely brilliant. And uh, I found myself moved to tears watching this uh, documentary. It's about 40 minutes long. Just seeing so many people, young people from uh, this church going out into schools, bringing hope, bringing joy, speaking truth and love over young people in schools, as well as a practical message around mental health. And it was just beautiful. And uh, I'd say it's a must-see for us as, as a church because it's a great example of what it means to bring the kingdom. If you're new here, our purpose statement as a church is to bring the kingdom of God but by that, we mean the, the rule and the reign of Jesus. So everything that he is, his love, his grace, his power, his justice, his, his healing, his salvation, his integrity, his, his ways. As we bring those things in our lives, the kingdom comes. So to bring the kingdom of God to every life and sphere of society, that's our purpose. That's our dream, that we would gather on a Sunday and be strengthened and inspired, but actually to go out into our world and bring the good news of Jesus by our words, but also by our deeds and by our persona, who we are. And this documentary is just a great uh, window of what it might look like to bring the kingdom of God. If, if you go to YouTube and just search Guardian Ballers, you'll see it's a, a film called Rebound, and it's just literally brand new uh, out, and uh, be great for you to see. Well, uh, today and over the following two Sundays, uh, we're going to be speaking under the header of Standing Together 
the heart of God, standing together the heart of God. Let me back up a little, particularly if you're new to the context of where, where the phrase standing together comes from. Uh, last summer, 2020, uh, following the killing of George Floyd, uh, we took steps as a leadership to seriously engage with racial justice. And uh, this resulted in, in a robust elders action plan that you can see on our website under the resource section. And at the start of this year, we, we began to speak on some Sundays uh, under this header of standing together, really drawing from that beautiful picture that you find in Revelation chapter 7, where it says they, that a great multitude stood together uh, before the throne and before the Lamb uh, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And we believe that this is, this is God's, uh, not only God's destiny for us, we're not going to just end up in that place, but on earth as it is in heaven, that we would stand together here on earth. This would be part of what happens in his church, his body. And uh, so we talked about standing together. We also asked why racial justice is our business as Christians. And we said three things. Number one, because it's a justice issue. And justice is part of the kingdom. It's part of God's heart. And that's where we'll be today. Secondly, because it's a family matter. As a diverse church, over 60 different nationalities here, with brothers and sisters experiencing challenges through overt and systemic racial justice, it's important that we stand together on this. It's our business. And also because it is a kingdom opportunity. I've already mentioned about that, that as we make a stand, as we get our, our heads and our hearts and our hands around this, that we might be able to shine light in a way that brings honor and glory to God. And uh, over these next three weeks, we're going to progressing, be progressing a little bit, um, looking at the heart of God uh, on the matter. This week, the heart of God for justice. Next week, the heart of God for all nations. And uh, then the week after, how we can touch the heart of God through the prayer of lament. Uh, on Sundays, we'll be taking these themes of justice, all nations, lament really broadly and trying to build a strong biblical foundation and just touching really on racial justice along with some other issues that are relevant to those broader subjects that we find in Scripture. But then in our life groups, which is, which is where the deep discipleship goes on, and let me just say, if you're not in a life group and you're part of CLM, please get in a life group. It's a place of connection and belonging. And uh, the way you can do that, if you're in the room, you can head to our sign-up table. If you're online or here in the room, you can go to our website forward slash connect and uh, just send in some information. We'll be in touch with you to get involved. But in our life groups, we'll be building on these broader uh, biblical foundations on Sundays of justice, all nations, and lament, and applying them much more specifically into the area of racial justice as we continue to move forward. But as I've alluded to, my subject today is the heart of God for justice. The heart of God for justice. I wonder, can we say that together? The heart of God for justice. God is a God of justice. And I hope today we'll, we'll see something of how passionate God is about justice, how justice matters to him at the deepest level, and as his sons and daughters should matter to us too. I think we all have inbuilt in us an innate sense of justice, of, of what is fair and what is unfair. Um, I think we, we, all, we all react very strongly to being accused of something that we didn't do, right? There's, that, there's something in us as human beings. I, I also, I don't know if, you, if you've got children, you might be familiar with the phrase, or if you've got a good memory, you might remember yourself saying at some point, it's not fair. 
It's not fair, right? I don't know if you did. It, did anyone ever say or hear it's not fair? And uh, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe you were having a tantrum on the floor. You probably long forgotten about it. But if your parents are alive, you ask them. They'll say, "Yeah, you were you were thumping the floor, crying out, it's not fair." My sister was two years older than me, so a lot of things weren't fair for me. Um, because that's how it happens, isn't it? Like if you've got an older sibling, they go to bed later than you. They get a bit more pocket money than you. And uh, I can remember many times saying, "It's not." fair. Now, to be fair, it probably wasn't unfair, but it, there was that sense of desiring equity, and I think within us we can, we can feel that. I remember a friend of mine uh, storming off in a football match, taking his ball, which was the match ball, with him because the sides were not fair. We were in our early 20s at the time. And, uh, you know, this guy, I don't know if you, uh, who remembers this image that's coming up on, on the screen? Just give me a wave if you know what this is. I know that some of you, like, don't know what this is. Rochelle, who is part of our media team, she saw this on Friday. She was like, I've, I've never seen that. But, you know, for some of us, this provokes a reaction. This, of course, is the so-called hand of God goal that Maradona uh, touched the ball over Peter Shilton in the Azteca Stadium, 1986, quarterfinals of the World Cup. Shouldn't have been a goal, was a goal. It stood. Argentina knocked England out. They went on to win the World Cup. And 35 years later, I know some England fans that have not yet forgiven Maradona. Uh, I would say I have, I have I have, I, I have forgiven Maradona, but, but why, does that, uh, why does that provoke a reaction? Because it's not fair. We, there's this sense of, we want justice. We want justice, of course. And why is that in us? Well, at one level, I believe it's because as human beings, we are created in the image and likeness of God, who at his heart uh, loves justice and has this desire for justice. The biblical idea of justice is to do what's right and to put things right. Beyond things being right for me, and I'll touch on this later, the biblical idea of justice, to do what's right and put things right, is for me to help make things right for others too. If you do a word study on justice in the Bible, you'll find either justice or justly 140 times, and it runs like a thread through the Bible. God uh, making provision through the law, the early part of the Bible, that his people would live in justice and establish justice. The prophets, they speak words uh, against God's people who are not upholding justice. Jesus comes to establish justice, and, and as his people, New Testament believers, we are called to be those who attend to justice. And, and looking at these 140 verses, which I have done in preparation for today, I, I want to draw attention to three ideas that I think are really strong in Scripture. The first one is really simple, and it's that God is a God of justice. The God we serve, whatever our, our picture of him, our understanding of him, let me tell you, he is a God of justice. The Psalms tell us the Lord is known by his acts of justice. He is righteous and he loves justice. The heavens proclaim his righteousness for he is a God of justice, Psalm 50. David writes, your righteousness is like the highest mountain. Your, your righteousness... It's, it's like Everest, but he says your justice, it's like the great deep. 
It's like the ocean. I don't know if you've ever been in the ocean on a boat and looked out where you can't see land in any direction. And the vastness of the ocean can be somewhat daunting and terrifying. And, and David says, your justice, it's so deep, it's so vast, it's like the ocean. It's like the Pacific. That is what your justice is like. We can't get our hands around it. Psalm 45, verse 6 says, Your throne, O God, will last forever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Now, a scepter, it's that golden staff or stick or rod that, that monarchs may have, along with a crown, typically to, as emblems of their monarchy that they would have a crown, but they'd also have a scepter. Often it's, it's gold, it's encrusted with jewels. But David says, your, your scepter, it's not, a, it's not a gold scepter, it's justice. What's in your hand? What is he saying? He says, the, the thing that matters to you is not to display your wealth, it's to display your justice. It's not, to, it's not to show the world that you are rich. It's to show the world that justice matters to you. What is it that's in your right hand if a crown is on your head? It's justice. That's what's in your hand. This is how much justice matters to our God, the kingdom of God. Another image from the Bible, Psalm 97, 2. Uh, clouds and thick darkness surround God. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. In other words, the culture of the kingdom, the manifesto of the monarchy, it is founded on justice. Everything that rises in the kingdom of God is built on righteousness and justice. This is what God is about. He loves justice. He's passionate for justice. David says, I will sing of your love and I'll sing of your justice. We tend to, in our, our modern songs, and I'm not criticizing the worship song, but I say, I thank God for them. We sing a lot of God's love. I don't know how much we sing of his justice. David says, I'll sing of your love. I'm also going to sing of your justice. Because this is who you are. He says, I know the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. He works justice for all the oppressed. For God, justice is not just making a decision in a court of law or something of that nature. It is to see that those who are downtrodden are lifted up. This is what God is looking for, his sense of justice, to stand for those who need a helping hand. In the book of Job, I find it really interesting. You, many of you will know the story of Job, a righteous man who, who loses everything overnight. And then for the majority of the book, he and his friends are wrestling to make sense with what has happened. And in the course of their discourse, they accuse God of being unjust. Now, you've got to understand that, that God very rarely defends himself in the Bible. He doesn't need to. He's God. But here in Job, it's interesting because you, after 38 long chapters, the Lord speaks. So everyone's been given their view, and then the Lord speaks. It must have been a terrifying moment. He says, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? He says, brace yourself. I will question you, and you will answer. Can you imagine being Job? So I suddenly, I wish I'd not said anything. But then he says, would you discredit my justice? And it occurs to me that I think, you know, if you're really, if you're passionate about something, but then somebody accuses you of, of 
of being the opposite. It's like you can't let that go. Let's say you're, let's say you're a real, real stickler for timekeeping and someone says you're always late. You, you, you're going to react to that, right? You know, you can, be, you can take some things, but, but not that because actually you're the opposite. And I almost think it, I, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it's like the Lord can't let that go. Because if I'm one thing, I'm just. Don't say, don't question my justice. And Job repents, the Lord blesses him and receives a double portion. And there's a sense of justice is done. In the story of Solomon, I mean, you know, if we know the story, we'll probably think that Solomon asks for wisdom. And he, he does ask for wisdom, but he asks for wisdom and discernment. is what he asks for, wisdom and discernment to administer justice. This is what it says. Go look it up in Kings. Lord, give me wisdom. Because God says to Solomon, ask me whatever you want. You can have anything, I'll give it to you. He says, give me wisdom and give me discernment to administer justice. And I think it just, it it delights the Lord so much. He says, do you know what? I I will give you that. I'm going to give you all the things you didn't ask for. Wealth and honor are going to be yours like no other king because you asked for that. Why? Because I just think he, he really hit the bullseye of what God is so passionate about. I don't know what you're passionate about. Maybe you're passionate about music or dancing or, or football or, or shoes or cars or I, I don't know. But, you know, if you were to get God to sit down and get him on topic, talking about something he loves to talk about, I think you could get him on justice and he'd really light up. Our God is a God of justice. Secondly, what I want us to see and, and draw from the scriptures is that justice is at the heart of the gospel. Isaiah prophesies the coming of the Messiah. We've got all these prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills, and many of them point to him as a bringer of justice. At Christmas, we often turn to Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And then it goes on to say, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He'll reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice that we're getting the idea when he comes he's going to come with justice he will bring justice to the nations Isaiah says when he comes in faithfulness he'll bring forth justice he will establish justice on the earth and Isaiah 61 which in the synagogue Jesus says these words are fulfilled in your hearing Uh, you only get to verse 8 and he says I the Lord love justice The prophetic psalm, Psalm 45, about Jesus says, In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth, humility, and justice. Let your right hand achieve some awesome deeds. And of course, Jesus goes to the cross. This is the heart, the heart of the gospel. If we were really to to boil it down, the heart of the Christian gospel is that, that we as sinners were in need of a savior. And Jesus... God the Son, the eternal Word, in majesty, in the beginning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among us and lives a sinless life and goes to the cross and takes upon himself all of our sin and shame and garbage and foulness. He takes it, though he does not deserve it. And he dies a death that we should have died. And he's laid in a tomb. And on the third day, he rises again victorious from the dead and ascends to the Father's side. This is the heart of the gospel. 
Why? In order that God could forgive us. But why would the Father not just say, oh, I forgive you? I'll tell you why, because of justice. The question can be pitched, how can a righteous God judge a guilty people, deem them not guilty and remain righteous? Let me ask that again. It's it's on your screen. How can a righteous God, if he's righteous, judge a guilty people, call them not guilty while remaining righteous? He does it by coming himself. He comes in. This is how passionate our God is for justice, that he would come himself rather than do something that is not just. There is a penalty to be paid, and he says, I will pay it in order to maintain justice. Right at the heart of our gospel. Romans 3, 23 to 26, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that's us, friends, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just And the one who justifies those have faith in Jesus. Thanks be to God. But thirdly, I notice that God calls his people to pursue justice. You would expect it, wouldn't you? If this God we serve is passionate about justice, would he not call his people to also live out and meet out justice and take a stance for justice? I spoke at the start about our our innate desire for justice, but I think in a worldly sense, people want justice for themselves, but often aren't so bothered about justice for others. But this is where a higher call comes upon us as the people of God. Not just that we would pursue justice for ourselves, but we would pursue justice for others too. This is the call that comes upon God's people. You see that that worldly desire for for one's own justice every week if you watch Match of the Day. Because almost without fail, there is some aggrieved manager who, who maybe has had a penalty awarded against his team that he doesn't think should have been a penalty. It's a bad decision. And he laments how, how they were robbed, how it was wrong, how unfair it was, how they lost points. While the other manager will say something like, oh, well, that's football, Right? But then that manager, who's all casual about the injustice, then next week will be incandescent with rage when the decision goes against him, right? But God says, would you look for justice for others? In the Old Testament, in the law, he puts it there to make sure his people attend to justice for others. Exodus 23, do not deny justice to your poor people. Deuteronomy 16, do not pervert justice or show partiality. Follow justice and justice alone that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. Deuteronomy 24, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice. Do not take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Cursed is anyone, Deuteronomy 27, who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow. The year of Jubilee is established in in the law in order to lift up those who have been caught in in the trap of debt and to give a fresh start to the downtrodden. In the book of Ruth, you see the law being played out where the farmers didn't harvest to the edge of their fields. Why, to leave something for others who might not have a field. You know, it made me think how 
You know, in your shopping trolley, often there's that little divider section at the end. Wouldn't it be great if we go along and we put our own provision in, in the big bit, but, but put some things in for food bank in the end bit? That, that would be like the book of Ruth. Leaving the margins for those who do not have so much. These laws are there to ensure justice for others, especially the vulnerable, the poor, those less advantaged, to lift up, to make room, to stand up, to allow for equity when circumstances denied it. Proverbs 29, verse 7 says, The righteous, the righteous, care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. And then the prophets come. And where Israel have failed to live out the law and demonstrate justice, the prophets start to speak powerfully because this matters to God. They're not giving their opinion. They are proclaiming from the heart of God. And God speaks to his people through the prophets and saying, you have neglected justice. Hear me. Isaiah opens his account. Hear me, you heavens, listen. Earth, for the Lord has spoken. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Micah 6, 8. Many of you will know this verse. He's shown you, our man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. In Amos, we find some incredibly strong words. The Lord says this, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. These are strong words, I know. But it's like God saying, don't sing to me while you're letting the poor be downtrodden. Don't, please, don't, don't set up the festival while injustice are taking place in your midst among your people. Of course, God established the festivals. God established a pattern for worship. He doesn't not want these things, but he's saying there are, there are some deeper things. We must put them right, or else actually the, the sound of your singing is off-key to me because there's injustice and there's pain in your midst. Jesus comes, Matthew 23, 23, speaks to the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law, and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin. Now, here's what's happening is the Pharisees, they are tithing to the nth degree even their spices. Like if they get a Twix or a Mars bar, they're taking a tenth and they're making sure it goes in like everything is being tithed. But Jesus says to them, but you have neglected the more important matters of the Lord, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then he says this, very powerful. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He said, keep tithing. But, but don't neglect what's actually more important than that which is justice and mercy and faithfulness. I know there's a lot here, friends, but I'm actually scratching the surface of what's in the Bible to help us see this profoundly biblical matter. Justice is part of the kingdom coming. If we're going to be kingdom bringers, we must be those that, that seek after justice, that do what we can. A final thought from the Scriptures from me is from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 
Paul is referring back to a letter that's sometimes known as the lost letter. It's a letter we don't, we don't actually know that letter. It's a letter probably between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. It's 1 and a half Corinthians. Uh, we, we don't get the letter. But he obviously wrote in this letter something that was strong, and he challenged them. And now in 2 Corinthians, he's picking up on that matter. And this is what he says. He, he, he actually says, I, I kind of regretted the strategy. I don't know if you've ever written something very strong and then kind of regretted it. And Paul's kind of going, I, I kind of regretted it, but, but actually I don't regret it because, this is what he says, uh, verses 8 to 11. Though I did regret it, I see my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness. What eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. My friends, what am I saying as I, I come in towards a close today, and I'll just make some practical applications in a minute, is that actually when the Spirit of God lives within us, there should be a reaction and a response in us that is godly sorrow, that's beyond worldly sorrow. I, I've... I've been in the presence of some spirit-filled people sometimes who've, who've heard some news that is, that is ungodly of, of adultery or something, and I've, and I've heard them like cry out. It's like, oh, why not? Not a worldly response, but a, but a godly sorrow, something that goes, this should not be a response from the spirit. And I think when we hear of matters of injustice, that godly sorrow might come. But Paul here, he talks about what godly sorrow produced, and it produced notably two things. Firstly, it produced in the Corinthians repentance. Now, it may be they needed to repent, but I think what godly sorrow produces in us is our own heart examination. That actually the first thing that, that happens, I remember when I first heard about human trafficking, I didn't know it existed. My sheltered upbringing, I didn't know that modern day slavery was a thing. And when I first heard about it, I had a response. Oh, this, this, I can't believe this, this is terrible. But do you know what? It, it caused me to examine my own heart. Not that I was caught up in that, but is there anything in me that would not value a person as they should be valued? Is there anything in me that would oppress a person? Godly sorrow should produce repentance. But then the second thing it produces is an urgency for action. Sometimes we pray, don't we? Things like pray, break my heart with the things that break your heart. And Paul says, look what it produced in you. Earnestness, what indignation, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. A passion to th see things change. And I'm inviting this church to, to open our eyes to how how God, this God we serve, delights in justice and allow the spirit within us that we might respond and examine our own hearts but also be propelled to action. My friends, this is why the church is so powerful because she cannot be passive. Hello? The spirit-filled church cannot be passive on matters. It, the spirit in us urges us beyond sympathy. Last year when I understood at a much deeper level some matters around racial injustice that I, I had been unaware of, it produced a response in me. And it produced a heart examination. God, is there anything in me? Examine my heart, God. But it also produced in me a desire for action. It should do. 
it should do when we, when we allow the spirit within us to respond to injustices we see. And there are so many injustices in the earth, I know that. The inequality of wealth, the oppression of many people groups, human trafficking, refugee crises, orphans, abortions, those with disabilities and special needs who can't find a level playing field, racial injustice, homelessness, cycles that are hard to break free from. We see the Afghan women holding up boards saying, why are you watching our suffering in silence? And I understand at one level injustice can overwhelm us and we can feel helpless. And sometimes injustices are just so prevalent in our world and in our news feeds that we can become numb to devastating news. And I also understand you cannot go fully after everything all the time. But there should be something in us that says, I want to do what I can to see things right. I wonder if the band would come and join me. So if we are, as the people of God, going to act, what can we do? Well... Number one, it's four really quick things. We can watch out. We can be alert. We can have our eyes open. I think if we're educated, it helps us to be more alert. One of our partner charities, Hope for Justice, which uh, wages war against modern-day slavery, it's helped me, partnering with Hope for Justice has helped me understand where people might be in modern-day slavery in the UK. And if I were to see them, I'd be more likely to spot them. We can watch out. We can be educated on different matters. The same is true for racial injustice. Secondly, we can speak out. It's so important we use our agency. If we see something, we say something. That we're not going to be those that hide, that are passive, that let something go. That we're going to speak up. If we have any authority, any position in a family, in a household, maybe you're a manager in your workplace, a team leader, or a business leader, or somebody with influence, with agency, we can watch out, we can speak out. Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil to do uh, is for good men to do nothing. Thirdly, we can help out. I wonder if there are things we can do. Did you catch the notice today? Socks, socks and underwear. New, new, did you catch it was new socks and underwear. Please catch that. There's a very important word there. We can do some, this is part of justice. Refugees in our city, under our noses. We could go to Afghanistan. We, Afghanistan has come to us. We can do something. We can respond. We can help out. We can watch out. We can speak out. We can help out. We can do something. Sometimes when we do things, it changes things. A few years ago, the churches gathered together to, to put on a winter night shelter here to, to help people be lifted up from the injustice of the cycle of no work, no address, no address, no work. And, and together, it was my great privilege in the final uh, year that we ran that, of serving in that place. It was great for me. I loved it. I turned up. No one knew who I was. I was just Martin Volunteer. That was my badge. And it was brilliant. And I went in just to help people coming in off the street, give them a warm welcome and a meal and a bed for the night and some love and listen to them, take an interest in them. But then on the back of several years, the council have said, can we take that on? We want to take that provision to the next level. And in that regard, in some ways, in that particular issue, the work of the church has its done what it needed to do right now. But we keep our eyes open. But when you help out, sometimes it can change things. And lastly, we can pray out. I understand we have to be ready to be the answer to our prayers, right? We have to be ready to be the answer to our prayers. 
but there are also some things that we can only effectively change through prayer. We can watch out, speak out, help out, but actually there are some strongholds. The devil is a thief and a liar, and there are some things that will be broken in prayer. And I think we should do the first three things, but not without neglecting the fourth thing that we pray. This week in groups will home in particularly on racial injustice. But I wonder whether we might stand here in the room as we finish. I'm going to invite us to pray together. If you're joining us online, I'm going to invite you. If you're able, why don't you stand also where you are? I know in some ways this is a hefty message today, but our God is a God of justice. May he be delighted as we sing our songs, as he hears, hears the sound of our voices. Why? Because we also attend to matters of injustice. And he can delight in our worship. And I'm going to invite us as a, a prayer going to come up on the screen and I'm going to invite you to pray it with me together. Why don't we just take a moment before we pray this prayer, just open your heart. It might help you to close your eyes and open your hands. Maybe like me, you feel a sense of inadequacy in these issues, but would say, Spirit of God, do a work in me. Help me align better to your heart. That my life would honor you and bring delight to you. Together, can we pray this prayer on the screen? My God, you are a God of justice. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Thank you for your heart for justice, for the poor, for the outcast, for the vulnerable, for the oppressed, for the widow, for the orphan, for the marginalized. Thank you in seeking justice you went to the cross for me. Forgive me for when my heart has been hard. For when I have failed to engage with the plight of others, when I have not allowed your heart to impact mine, help me to carry a heart for justice. Let godly sorrow produce good fruit in me. Lord, help me to watch out, to speak out, to help out, and to pray out. Lord, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.